Hello and welcome back to another episode of Young Nostalgia, episode 35, coming at you, um, talking about this month in music history for May. It's May. Oh my gosh. It seems like, I mean, okay, so we took a weird, a weird, uh, a weird lag in April, so so it made like taking this month in history for uh, music history in April seem so close to May because we didn't realize that we had to do one until mid-April. So now it's like two weeks later, and here we are doing another one. Is that your excuse for just totally spacing on the date? Uh, no. Anyway, yeah. this is the podcast that takes a trip down memory lane from two guys that never lived it. I'm Nolan, and beside me is Ben. As we, as always, we thank you for joining us as we talk about our passions for the past while being young at heart. I already kind of went into my spiel and make myself look even dumber than I sound about not knowing the date. Ben, how you doing, bud? Oh, fan-freaking-tastic. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's a good day. <laughs> Great weather here. Can't really complain. And as always, it feels good to be back recording Young Nostalgia. Anyway, so without further ado, I guess we can just hop right in and, and see how this episode carries us. And maybe, maybe not. I might sing. I haven't really warmed up my vocal cords today, though. I mean, you made that commitment a couple weeks ago. I, you have to sing in every show. I never agreed to that. You just you just said, now that I dared you, you have to. Because we're an, an international well, that, podcast. That's a binding agreement. <laughs> Over, like, signature of Mike? The mic? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's like a FaceTime handshake. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You should probably take this over because we're just going to have dead air for a little while. <laughs> okay, starting off. Uh, May 1st. We've talked about this a little bit in the past. May 1st, 1979, Elton John became the first pop music star to perform in Israel. That's pretty cool. Um, I was even reading a little bit more into this. Um, it kind of connects itself to the same the same tour, but later on that year, he actually uh, went into Russia as well. Mm-hmm. So it, the the interview that he had about those concerts was that, like, you know, he's not somebody that is playing to get the most money. So he's not going to the venues where the most money can be made. You know, he's done that. He's He is who he is, obviously, Elton John. So he was like, I want to see people. I want to interact with people in a different setting every time I go on tour. And so being able to go to Israel as well as the USSR, which was he was the first Western pop artist to be able to, to perform in the USR, USSR as well, um, was so monumental for him as well as the music industry. But anyway... As I become long long-winded about this story, it kind of boils down to how you know these very prominent people in uh, music back then, like Billy Joel, the Beatles, you know things like that. How come they never, you know, made their way into Israel or USSR very like as early as Elton John did? Um, and he said, "Well, they just didn't ask." All he did was like ask, you know, the countries or or kind of put his feelers out there on how to get in, and then you know the concert was booked. So, right, right, and and you know that we've that's kind of what Elton John does. I mean, he's he's all about he's all about the show. Yeah, and I think that's a a fantastic way of putting it. Um, it's not necessarily like you said; it wasn't you know his get rich you know, scheme. I mean, he was already big, you know, how much bigger can he get? But it was just about furthering the show. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And, I mean, just he's been back multiple times, I think, again in the 90s and again in 2010. Or maybe 2016. It was interesting reading the story about the time he went in <laughs> 2010, I believe. So he went to Israel and um, the crowds and all the, uh, you know, the, the fans and all that like rushed him and just like bull rushed him. And he was so overwhelmed that he actually left the same night he arrived, went back to London and he got a whole bunch of like, you know, bad bad press because they were like oh he just you know upped and skipped out on us all because we were excited to see him so he actually ended up going back you know the next day or later that week to perform but i thought it was funny how how different his experience was going you know back in the future where he was just like oh my god they love me too much so i can't i can't be here right now (laughs) yeah i mean there's kind of a fine line between fans being very excited and fans in just like a total frenzy (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's true like throwing <laughs> like, out their underwear and all that good stuff yeah i mean it could turn into like a riot real quick <laughs> <laughs> no it could most definitely most definitely okay all right moving along I, I think we spent way too much time on may 1st may 2nd 1980 pink floyd's another brick in the wall which i thought was really interesting at this point uh pink floyd's another brick in the wall was banned in south africa um, by their government so the children were actually fed up by the inferior apartheid era you know education system kind of where it's like our way or the highway um and the children were actually started chanting the lyrics um of the memorable line stating we don't need no education and they would go throughout the halls and outside of school just chanting that and so you know, a couple months of that, and then the South American government just banned the in, the entire song um, in general. So once I just think it, it's so funny. Once it's kind of locked on as a as a protest chant, I mean, I, <laughs> you know, you can ban it all you want. Like, I don't really see how that's you know going to change anything <laughs> once it's become that well established. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Oh my god! It it I just thought it was funny how how much I mean we've seen this throughout the past too where governments kind of put a control on certain you know pop culture media that children and, and the public is is consuming just because it it puts a bad image on either you know government officials or you know the way that they run things. So yeah, I mean that's like the quickest way to get something banned in some of these countries is turn it into a, a symbol of protest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Boom, banned immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Put that red stamp on it. Yeah. Okay, moving on. On May 3rd, 1928, James Brown is born. Get on up. <laughs> I don't have anything else. Didn't he sing like, I feel good. I knew that I would not. Pretty early in the episode, I'm already already jamming out. Yeah, well, I guess that's your that's your required song of the show. So yeah, that's true. I knocked it out of the park early on. <laughs> might as well, might as well get it done. Sweet, sweet and simple. Uh, May fourth, May the fourth be with you. Um, actually, you know that that has started back in 1977 when Star Wars: A New Hope released. That's actually not one of our music and history points, but every time May it's the fourth comes nonetheless. Around, Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, ni- okay. Anyway, May fourth, nineteen fifty nine. The winners of the first annual Grammy Awards were actually announced. 
And so since this was, you know, the very first Grammys ever, it was so early in, in the Grammy legacy that it was actually not even televised. You know, it was more of just kind of published in newspapers or magazines. Um, and, you know, kind of like a big prominent artist in the mix, obviously, was Frank Sinatra, uh, one of our faves. And so breaking down the events of the first ever Grammys, the winners were Album of the Year was uh, went to Henry Mancini who is, uh, you know, for his performance of the music from Peter Gunn, um, you know, and kind of nominated as well as a top contender was Come Fly With Me and Only the Lonely by none other than Frank Sinatra. So, you know, 1959, the first Grammy Awards was actually the first ever Grammy Awards for Frank Sinatra to have two of his night of his year previously albums in the nomination. I mean, obviously it's the first Grammy, so... It'll be the first time, but the first time that he had two albums from the same year recognized like that. It's cool that, you know, he already, it was already like, you know, normally you, you're normally someone would be nominated year after year and then they would finally win something. But nope, uh, Frank Sinatra won two of them or nominated for two of them uh, immediately. Very first year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's awesome, and like not even that. There's even more to come. So, record of the year went to Domenico Modugno uh, for Nel Blue de Pintu Blue Volaire, and this was actually the first and only foreign language to date, um, the only for, foreign language release to win um, the award in Grammy history, which is kind of neat. And then you know down the line. Um, the song Witchcraft by Sinatra was also nominated for the award. So he didn't actually win anything from this Grammy venture, but he was definitely he was definitely represented. I guess that's a way to put it. Yeah, I mean, in something like this, there's so many people. It's such a wide range of uh, artists to be considered, artists and albums and songs to be considered for this kind of stuff. So just getting a nomination is already i mean that 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 kind of means something still i mean it's always better if you win but even a nomination is still pretty good no i agree and i think it's really interesting just obviously the grammy chain the grammys change just based on the kind of popular music so you know mm-hmm. for sinatra and then like you know, kind of big band more classic style music like henry mancini and domenico uh, modugno um being so prevalent and nominated and winning these awards i feel like was a very you know, recognition of the time. Um, so moving on, song of the year was actually same as um, same as above. So Domenico Madugo also won the song of the year. And uh, interesting enough, there you know how there's a category of best new artist currently. Um, this category actually didn't exist, and it came to fruition fruition in the second annual Grammys the next year. And that kind of makes sense, I suppose. You know, I don't know the stipulations for best new artists, but it, is it something to do with like best up and coming artist that has gained notoriety since the previous uh, Grammy? Maybe. I'm guessing like some sort of. I probably should have read into this a little bit more, but I'm guessing it's more of like, you know, like off of their debut album, the time that they're actually like. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Put out for the listening public within that yeah. year. Like, who is who is the newest to the industry and who has made such an impact throughout that year? Right, got it. That makes sense. So, yeah. All right, bud, take her on. <laughs> All right, May 5th, 
1891, the, the wow, the first performance at the mu at the music hall, later named Carnegie Hall, was held, conducted by Maestro Walter Demroche and great Russian composer uh, Pyotr Leach. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> just say Tchaikovsky. Tchaikovsky. <laughs> okay. Once I once I saw the end part, once I realized who it was, like Tchaikovsky, okay. I'm heard that dying. Before, but. I'm dying over here. And also you said Carnegie. It's like Carnegie. It's Carnegie Hall, man. Carnegie. You were like Carnegie. Oh <laughs> you know what? I'm not even gonna spend much time on this because you butchered that real bad. Carne- oh my god. No, I mean I'm thinking like that's how <laughs> Okay, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Jeez, I was looking over here at my audacity feed, and it's just like spikes because I was laughing so hard. All right, well, I was just like, (laughs) you've been pronouncing everything pretty good for this episode, so I felt like I felt like I had to step in for you and you know do what you normally do and and butcher the crap out of things. (laughs) You had to you had to bring us down a notch. Yeah, there you go, there you go. (laughs) May 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 sixth, which is my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, dad. Um, back in 1977, Led uh, Led Zeppelin. I actually, you should you should be taking this one. Led Zeppelin sets an audience audience attendance record at a single act concert when they performed for 76,229 people over in Pontiac, Michigan. So since then, the current record is actually held by Vasco Rossi and the Enzo Ferrari Park over in uh, Modena, Italy. And that venue held 220,000 people, um, and they were present oh for God. Rossi's Rossi's uh, Rossi's concert, which is in yeah <laughs> performance. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I have, see now. See, we kind of switched roles. You, you're having a tough time pronouncing. I'm having a tough time coming up with words to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I think that's that's interesting. I mean, it, it's changed so much, and venues have just grown so much more popular and bigger and bigger and bigger as they can accommodate you know more of the the technology and, and what and the security that needs for those kind of big crowds but the fact that 220,000 people attended Vasco Rossi's concert is insane to me that is that is like 50,000 less than Lincoln that's like almost the entirety of my city that I live in now that's insane <laughs> that okay yeah that's crazy I mean 220,000 people is a lot of people, but think of the infrastructure that is required to accommodate 220,000 people. Yeah, just imagine the lines at the bathroom. Yeah, it's, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. I mean, there, but there's got to be, I mean, there's food vendors and yeah. uh, and and bathrooms and all just everything that goes into it. And just the facility itself. I mean, it's got to take 40 minutes to walk across it. Oh, I'm sure. And even to, <laughs> I mean, even to like... Where are people going to park? Where are they going to... Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, parking for... I mean, granted, I'm sure there's a a lot of public transportation that goes into getting 200... There has to be. Oh, yeah. You know, to get that many people there. But even then, that's that's nuts. That's that's very difficult to imagine. It is nuts. And currently, if you're wondering, Rod Stewart holds the record for attendance at a free concert. Oh, really? How much is that? How many people? I don't know. I just remember reading it. Oh, okay. That works. <laughs> <laughs> May 7th, 1824, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony was, perform- was performed 
for the first time. Excuse me, B- Beethoven's. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, good stuff. I mean, you know, it's you can't really mistake classical music in terms of the the health benefits and just kind of paving the way for what music is. I mean, Beethoven was such a such an influential figure. Health benefits. <laughs> yeah, dude, classical music is really healthy for your like your brain. Uh... All right, all right, all right. I'll move on then. I'm okay, gonna, okay. I'm, well, I'm not. Gonna, a... I'm not going to let you argue your point. I'm just going to be okay. right, and then we're going to move on. Okay. Well, at least I need. At least I make it known that I don't buy into that fully. So that's all I need to get out there. <laughs> okay, Ben. <laughs> I guess I better delete that playlist of classical music. I was in the middle of downloading and sending it to you. Well, you do what you want. I mean, it is what it is. I was like, hey, man. I was like, hey, man, this could help you pronounce better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I would have been sending that May to you. 8th, May 8th, 1970, the Beatles, the Beatles with an A, released Let It Be, the group's final album. Let it be, let it be, let it be, yeah, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom. Okay, I'm done now. I I don't know what to say. (laughs) All right, take May May 10th. It's all yours. Uh, (laughs) It just kept going and going. Okay, May 10th, 1957, Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols was born John Simon Beverly. I like uh, Vi- Sid Vicious a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, does, it sounds, uh, <laughs> it, it's definitely a more appropriate name for him as well as the group. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the Sex Pistols, I mean, from what I remember, at least learning about them, it was just kind of like almost an experiment, something going just absolutely haywire things just absolutely you know abnormal for the time of the way that music was seen and portrayed and given to people and they just kind of turned it all upside down um you know i I, they were only like together for a few years i know that they they kind of you know turned everything upside down then they called kind of called it quits yeah i i can't remember exactly what it's either but it was not very long at all i think we've talked about that a little bit in the past not really much. It was just like a passing like comment on like a this month in history or something like that. I'm sure we probably and, have. Yeah. All right. What's next? Okay. All right. May thirteenth, nineteen fifty. Uh, Stevie Wonder was born in Saginaw, Michigan, um, and he may not be blind. Oh yeah, as we know from the conspiracy <laughs> special. As we um, know from the conspiracy episode. Uh, I mean, it was pretty compelling evidence. I don't believe that. <laughs> we should yeah, we should go back and one video, one video, <laughs> one piece of evidence out there. Totally, it it has me believing it. Stevie that Wonder's this guy not, knocked not over blind. no Paul, Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney knocked over a mic stand, and Stevie Wonder reached out and grabbed it. And everyone was like, "Stevie Wonder's not blind. It's but obvious." You know, adding to that as well, it it obviously wasn't Paul McCartney. Are you sure? I thought it was Paul McCartney. No, Paul McCartney died back in 1969, oh. remember? You got me. You got me real good. <laughs> it couldn't have been Paul McCartney. It was his stunt double. 
<laughs> I'm sure there's someone out there like listening to this that uh, is actually one of the uh, Paul is dead conspiracy guys, and they're probably like losing their mind that we're making fun of it. <laughs> I know, I know. They're probably playing the playing the the track backwards as we speak. Yeah, Paul is dead. Paul <laughs> is dead. <laughs> Take off your foil hat and come back to the real world. <laughs> Remember, we're ruled by lizard people. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> wow, we've really gone off the rails here. We have, we have. <laughs> we're only on May 14th, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, May 14th, 1998. Frank Sinatra dies uh, in Los Angeles from a heart attack. Yeah, he, he was suffering a lot from you know, kind of just mental, I mean, like mental health issues as well as, you know, body issues. There, there was um, some kidney cancer and um, things like that, as well as having a heart attack um, the year previously in 1997, and that's when he stopped making public appearances, period. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and then he's, I believe he's buried out in California, and his his gravestone actually says the best is yet to come. Uh, and then it has <laughs> his name Frank Sinatra. So that's cool. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I'm sorry, bud. Um, I don't even remember. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not then. relevant May anymore. 15th. So don't worry about it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. May fifteenth, nineteen forty-five. The first U.S. album chart is actually introduced. Among them were King Cole Trio as well as Glenn Miller. So you know, kind of. When we kind of talked about how the Grammys were a sign of the times and, and the way that music was presented and, and that kind of style, even back in 1945, you can obviously see, you know, how it's changed so much. Obviously, it changes with the times, but, um, you know, to, to have someone like Glenn Miller on there, you would never think of that kind of music being on the on the U.S. album chart nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, well, when, when was it the first Grammys? Was it 1959, I think? Yeah, yeah, nineteen fifty nine. Yes. Scrolling up a little bit, yeah, nineteen fifty nine. Um, and it kind of, you know, I mean, it pretty much it's it's right around the same era. So I mean, the, you kind of see a somewhat of a trend of ranking music. I mean, that's pretty much uh-huh. what it is. Uh huh. Um, and that wasn't really a thing much before that, and. And it's probably one of those things, because it was also, we've talked about in other shows too, is around this time, especially leading up, uh, you know, 50s and into the 60s, that's when, I mean, music was always popular, but this is where it really became, uh, the type of music really defined groups and a culture. Yep. Yeah. I'm sure that that, you know, music becoming more ingrained into a certain culture or subculture, um, that is probably something that really pushed the ranking of music along as well. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That was deep. That was very deep. <laughs> kind of warmed my heart a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> May 19th, uh, 1945. Pete Townsend of The Who was born in Cheswick, Middlesex, England. Pretty cool. I was reading up on him, too, and he was like really one of the principal songwriters and song like music contributors to the who like he was a lot of you know the kind of creative hand behind the who's music Mm -hmm. 
I mean, Elton John still did Pinball Wizard better, but. Oh, no, no, no. I agree. I agree. I agree. It, but, yeah. Yeah. Still, it's, still that was influen- not relevant at all, but. No. In- influential, throw it nonetheless. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> May 20th, 1967, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix signs his first American record contract with Reprise Records. The first album released here in the U.S. Are, was Are You Experienced? And it. Uh, topped out at number five on Billboard Top 200. Um, couldn't beat out the Beatles or anything like that, but uh, very amazing. Uh, very I mean, Jimmy few people Hendrix, did. Yeah, I know. Very few people did. But Jimi Hendrix is just, ah, uh, you can't you can't sit down and listen to Jimi Hendrix without being like mesmerized. Either you're smoking too much or his music is just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like Jimi Hendrix. I'm not one of I'm not like a huge fan where I listen to a lot of Jimi Hendrix, but I do listen when it comes on the radio or something like that. Um, but you know, you could totally be a anti Jimi Hendrix, not like him at all. But you you still you cannot denounce how uh, how big his how big and influential his music was. I mean, there's so much stuff that he did that became a trend afterwards. I mean, that was oh, kind yeah. of his overall, he did so many things that just sounded different from current people of the time. And people, there's a lot of people that kind of came in and kind of copied and mimicked that sound. Uh-huh. Um, or uh-huh. tried to, rather. Yeah, the way that he could make a guitar sing was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just did so many things that, you know, were not uh, normal for the time. Even within, you know, that music genre. They just, <laughs> so many things outside of the norm. <laughs> most definitely i mean <clears throat> that's kind of what it took back then you know in the 60s and all that to kind of become so prominent you have to be you have to have that spark of something just so different so new that nobody has really experienced before um and you know that's why it's Jimi hendrix experience yeah that, <laughs> i mean that's true we've talked about that in other shows too about this whole time period that's what defined people that the big really big artists is that they it was it was just different, you know. They weren't kind of playing the cookie cutter music that, you know, they had kind of uh, been had been leading up till at that time period, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's 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 how these guys really made a name for themselves. Yes, sir. <clears throat> All right, May twenty first. Nolan already talked about this a little bit um, at the beginning of the show. May first. 21st, excuse me, wow, 1979, Elton John becomes the first Western pop star to play in the USSR. Um, And, of course, this concert was preceded by the first ever pop artist concert in Israel with Ray Cooper. Yeah, kind of neat. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse about the interesting facts that I was talking about before, (laughs) but... Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's just kind of... It's it's just interesting. I mean, that was especially for someone like Elton John as um, the the big the everything being over the top, vibrant, you know that sort of thing. I mean, it was totally not um, Eastern European Asia, you know, style at the time. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and there's this. I just feel like there was a huge disconnect, you know, from those two different cultures, and to be able to bridge that gap, like Elton John did, I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, around this time, it was still I mean, 1979. Um, you know, if it wasn't 
gray and bland, it wasn't state approved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, and, and it's interesting to see. I mean, you can even look up the list, whereas like, you know, after Elton John did his thing in, in Israel and in the USSR, there was just an avalanche of other top performers like, you know, Billy Joel followed, Paul McCartney followed, you know, it, it's just kind of he paved the way for everyone to just be like, oh, well, if Elton John did it, we can do it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, May 23rd. Uh, back in 1970, the Grateful Dead play their first British concert at the Hollywood Rock Festival. This was the band's first show outside of the United States. And, I mean, the Grateful Dead actually held the concert attendance record for the longest time as well. Oh, really? I did not know that. They did, yeah. They did. That's pretty cool. Uh, I, I I don't really know a whole lot about the Grateful Dead. I just, I don't have anything against them. I just haven't listened to much and I don't, haven't had an experience, uh, an opportunity to listen much or learn about them too much. No, I, I agree. I feel like, you know, if you put on a re- like a record in, in front of me and, and kind of, you know, let me listen to it, I feel like I could probably pin it down to the Grateful Dead, but it's mm-hmm. nothing that I would go out of, go out of my way to, you know, seek them out or, or want a record of my own of theirs because there's nothing that comes to mind. Right, right. And, I, you know, this these are one of the groups that I feel like the the fans that they have, I mean, and this is through the years, even like up to right now, they have, their fans are super loyal. Oh, yeah. Oh, like yeah. Super ultra loyal. But it's kind of a all or nothing kind of thing to where the, and then the people who are not really into the Grateful Dead don't know anything about them, <laughs> you know, like, of, like you and I, like you and I, but then, you know, say if we met someone on the street who was a Grateful Dead fan, they're like, you go into their house and it's like, everything is Grateful Dead related. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's just been my experience with people. That's just kind of how it seems. <laughs> yeah. No, I could see it. The kind of one of those cult, cult, cult interests like niche oh yeah 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 very niche yeah 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 they fit a very uh specific um group of listeners and there's not a huge uh not a huge outcast beyond that all right may 24th 1941 bob dylan is born robert zimmerman in duluth minnesota uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything. <laughs> I really, really don't have anything else to go on. Me, me neither. I mean, Bob Dylan was <laughs> was you know very politically active and kind of put oh, that through yeah. his music and all that. So, yeah. you know, he, he was a great influential person in, in the way that music was an avenue of talking about the times. So, yeah, I mean that's I mean that's pretty much one of the big things he's known for. A lot a lot of artists do that anyway, but not yeah. necessarily as direct and obvious as Bob yeah. Dylan. And especially through that, you know, that Vietnam War era, that's what really, you know, tipped the ball in the court of politically active music. Oh, yeah, right, right. I also never knew his last name was actually Zimmerman. Yeah, me neither until he came, he came across this episode, so. <laughs> yeah. All right, May 25th, we'll be running out the episode here soon. Nineteen Back in 1926, Miles Davis was born. And May 25th in 1978, Keith Moon performs uh, with The Who for the last time. That's pretty cool. I think we 
Uh, last show, or the show before last, we talked about Keith Moon a little bit, didn't we? It rings a bell, but I can't tell yeah, you exactly. I can't. Oh, yeah, I think we talked about him leaving. Oh, uh, no, you're right. I think you're right. Cause that's, yeah, we talked that's, about him. Yeah. We talked about him leaving and then how, you know, the who was... That's when we got to talking about uh, how how weird it sometimes is when people leave bands relatively early on and then they become super successful Afterwards. without that person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. rounding out the show, we have May 31st. John Bonham of Led Zeppelin is born in Redditch, Worcestershire, England. Nice. We know that John Bonham, his name has kind of run across our screen in the past. Uh, I mean, I know you're a huge fan of Zeppelin, and you I know he like was Zeppelin. he was very much an in- integral part. And I mean, he's such a great drummer for what he was doing. And you know, Led Zeppelin has such intricate music. Um, you know, talk about very much like a a cult, very loyal, very prominent fans. You know, Led Zeppelin definitely holds its own um, in the rock genre. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the same thing we talked about a little earlier with the the Grateful Dead. I mean, you, when you uh, every once in a while, I'll be wearing like a Led Zeppelin T-shirt or something like that, and then you know someone will like comment on it, and they'll be like, "You'll kind of get into a little bit of a conversation, and they'll just go nuts with with facts and and yep. just all kinds of information." I'm like, "Whoa, this person's like super into." It. I mean, I'm I really <laughs> like Led Zeppelin, but I'm not like super into like year by year changes <laughs> and that's you know that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Not like a I'm not like a super fan like like some people are, but that that that's the same impression that I get, um, you know, of the the Grateful Dead and and the Led Zeppelin uh, super fans. No, I I agree. There's a lot out there. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, anyway, that's a wrap for episode 35 this month in music history for May. Thank you again for joining us here at Young Nostalgia this week as we are continue our journey through retro pop culture. Um, and as always, if you enjoy the show, leave a kind review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can find us on Stitcher, um, Spotify, as well as Google Play, and we're out there on Podbean. If you like us and you'd like to start interacting with us, find our Facebook and Twitter pages on our Podbean account as well. If you have a future topic or you want to be a guest with Ben and I, give us an email at youngnostalgia2017 at gmail.com. Coming up this month, we actually have a... Would you stop it? We have a lot of... Why? I'm not doing anything. <laughs> He's putting like one of those clothesline hangers all over his nose. <laughs> I don't know. What Shouldn't have said that. Anyway, <laughs> we have a um, you know we have a couple guests actually lined up uh, for May, and we we promise you we're gonna capitalize on this um, you know this this moment and this opportunity to have people on with us. Um, we, a longtime friend of ours back from college um, who was one of our advisors, uh, he has agreed and is willing to come on the show and talk about his connection to music um, as he plays in like rock cover bands from Journey to Fleetwood Mac, um, <laughs> as well as you know everything in between. And so he's a really cool, chill guy, and we just want to kind of pick his brain on how it feels to be able to present that music to others in a different kind of format when you know those bands are kind of you know getting older and kind of out of the limelight as much as they used to be. Um, and then we also have a professor that we um, were close friends with and was uh, a good advisor to us as well, and he's going to be talking about the way you know kind of media has changed um, in terms of you know how 
how you know just pop culture has changed in the way that we interact with it, whether it be music or television or TV shows. You know, everything is always asking for like some type of hashtag or some sort of interaction on social media, or you know, you know it. That's what grows pop culture anymore is the way that you connect to your fans and all that is so different so we're going to be picking his brain about that and kind of how he has seen the changes um, as well as how he presents it to his students um, you know and the people around him so without Mm -hmm. further ado anything else big guy no 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 i think we i think it was a good show i really enjoy i kind of enjoyed this uh this month in history uh with the music uh theme to it but you know we've been talking about the guests for pretty much months um and we keep pushing it back pushing it back pushing it back and you know we really want that to happen but it's one of those things that's just really difficult i mean uh it's tricky enough for nolan and i to uh choreograph stuff in general with you know 800 or so miles apart across two different time zones i mean that's it's not super easy to get that all lined up and everything squared away but then add in you know the logistics of a guest on top of that yeah in in their in their <laughs> own place like not even with you or with me like they're going to be in their own separate <laughs> yeah. place calling in and then you and i are going to be recording our own separate tracks while trying to record their tracks and we're going to overlap them to sound like we're all in the same room so yeah it's it's not easy it's not easy but you know i think we're we're getting it figured out and we're we're, we're going to make it happen definitely we're excited All right, man, as we always say here on Young Nostalgia, keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. Take care, everybody. 